Hey, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast with Dr. Casey Hogan. I'm Casey, and I'm so excited that you're here today. This podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking for quick bite-sized bits of information to further their practice and still have time for the rest of your day. Hey, welcome back to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. I am so glad you're here today. Today, we're going to go over the NEG categories from the 2017 Clinical Practice Guidelines. Um, I'm probably going to break it up into two parts because I want to keep these episodes really short and sweet. So this first one, we're mainly talking about like the introduction of a CPG and basically going into, hey, what are the groups? How do we differentiate these groups? And then in part two, we'll talk about now that you've got these groups, what do you do with them? So why even talk about this in the first place? Well, we know every patient is different and we want everybody to be special, but treatment classifications do have their pros and cons. Like for example, they help us to be able to see the bird's eye view, the big picture on somebody that's walking in where they've got all this stuff going on and you just don't even know where to start yet with. It's kind of like a good roadmap on, okay, they fit the most into this bucket. How can I best try and calm things down until I got a better handle on what exactly is going on? Because things are not always just easy, cut and dry. So it also keeps us from being really non-specific PTs where they're like, oh, you have a neck, I see. So here's some neck exercises. Another thing is it helps us to have a more common language. Like if one of my colleagues is going to treat one of my patients, it's going to be a little bit more helpful if I can go up to them and be like, hey, Miss So-and-so fits into this category. And then I can go into more of the specifics versus, hey, Miss So-and-so has this and this and this and this going on and this going on and this going on. Whereas I could have grouped it a little better and they'd be like, oh, I get the big picture. Now I've just taken up a ton of their time and they're probably not going to remember that because they're trying to treat like two other patients at the same time while I'm doing this. Not ideal, right? So the same goes for like, hey, what if you're rounding with a physician and and they're trying to get your feedback on what I think is going wrong? I can be like, hey, they have these tests that are positive and points them into this category. We've been doing this. A lot simpler, right? One other thing I really do want to mention is research. I don't know how many of you guys are comfortable with research, but it's actually really important. Go figure. So if you think about this way, how do we know how to best treat patients? A lot of it has to come from research, right? And it gets really tricky when we come across, you know, lower quality studies where it's just like nonspecific pain. We just threw the kitchen sink at them and and this is what happened versus, hey, this patient came with these specific symptoms. We defined their pain in this way and we did these specific interventions. Now we have a good understanding or a good feeling about at least if this patient walks into my clinic, I might have a better response by doing these specific interventions for that type of patient. Helps us to be a little bit more on the mark here. So with that, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with clinical practice guidelines, but essentially a clinical practice guideline is just recommendations on how to diagnose or treat a medical condition. So it can be written for doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals, whatever, but they're all research-based. And a lot of them will have 
levels of evidence. So like you'll hear me talk about level A, level B, level C. Basically, level A is really good and then B, C, D, so forth. It's less of less good quality as you go down the alphabet basically. So C is less quality than A, for example. Um, we can go into that more in a future episode if the desire is there for people, but if not, I'm just going to try and keep it pretty simple here. So I'm just going over more of the highlights, the summary of the 2017 clinical practice guideline. And here we go. So essentially what they're saying in this specific clinical practice guideline is first off, if this patient, this neck patient walks in your door, you need to make sure they actually have business walking in your door. Like, should they be there or not? And this is level A evidence. You need to screen out if they have infection, cancer, cardiac involvement, arterial insufficiency, upper cervical ligamentous insufficiency, unexplained cranial nerve dysfunction, and fracture. Those all sound horrible, right? Probably don't want to just say, oh, well, here's some of my generic neck exercises. We should probably get that person a little bit more help. In terms of imaging, they say, hey, Utilize the existing guidelines. This is level A evidence, and we can go more into that in the future as well. Now, for your exam, they're pretty in pro. Did I just make up a word? I don't know. But they are in favor of self-report questionnaires. This is level A evidence. And you'll have a lot of patients in the clinic that are like, this doesn't exactly apply to my pain, and they'll write little notes on it and stuff. But like, At the end of the day, these are standardized and a lot of them have been well-researched. Obviously, some are better than others, but it at least helps us to be standardized in terms of like, hey, if someone has a better score at the end of this PT experience, we have good cause to believe that they got better. Now, in terms of reproducing the patient's activity limitation and participation restriction measures um, that are associated with their patient pain, this is level F evidence. So this summary basically grouped neck pain into four major categories. So here are the four. Neck pain with mobility deficits, neck pain with radiating pain, neck pain with movement coordination impairment, and neck pain with headaches. So let's start with with number one. So we're talking about physical impairment measures that we can take to see do they fit more in one of these categories versus another. So the tests that I'm I'm talking about here are things that when they're positive or like something comes up, their symptoms are reproduced, it puts them more in favor of being like towards one of these buckets, if that makes sense. So talking first about neck pain with mobility deficits, they've got a mobility problem, right? So we should probably look at their active range of motion, specifically cervical, right? I, I hope that's obvious. But we're also looking at cervical flexion rotation test and cervical and thoracic segmental mobility. All of this makes sense, right? Mobility deficit, where is the deficit? If they don't have one, they probably don't have a mobility deficit. So that is the first one. Number two is neck pain with radiating pain. What we're looking at here is more of do they have radicular pain? So we should probably screen out if they have radicular symptoms, right? We need, we need to do this by neurodynamic testing. Do they have a positive spurlings or positive distraction or Valsava? Now, in terms of neck pain with movement coordination impairment, they group whiplash-associated disorder with this. 
So we're looking at things like, do they have cranial, <laughs> cranial, cranial cervical flexion and neck flexor muscle endurance test deficits? That's what we're looking to kind of zoom in on this particular group. And then last but not least, neck pain with headaches, specifically cervicogenic, because that's what we treat here in physical therapy. So with this one, we are looking at cervical active range of motion, cervical flexion rotation test, but also we're looking at upper cervical segmental mobility testing. Voila. Now for the actual classifications themselves, the diagnosis is level C evidence, but right, what we've been talking about is physical impairment measures that are associated with these groups. That's level B. Okay. So that's part one. This patient walks in, you're doing all these tests. What do they have? That's kind of like, boom, they have this. In part two, we're going to talk about they have this. Now what? So thank you for listening in the meantime. Let me know if you have any questions about clinical practice guidelines, or if you just want to go into like, hey, why are these things what they are? And then we can try and clear up whatever we need to. But in the meantime, go ahead and hit subscribe if you haven't already. If you want to stay up to date with all of the newest episodes, highly recommend it. Maybe a little bit biased, but you know how it is. And then if you want to find out more information, come check us out at ptsnackspodcast.com. Um, it's my website, or you can email ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com if you have those questions. Please reach out and let me know if there's anything that I can do to help or anything else I can clear up. Until next time, y'all, but thank you for dropping by and we will talk soon. Bye.